Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of The Crude Report. My name is Jim Washer, I'm Editor-in-Chief here at Argus and with me today is Nada Itaim, our Editorial Manager in Dubai, who is joining us for this podcast to discuss the latest developments in the OPEC Plus Alliance ahead of next week's meeting. So Nada, um, how are things looking at the moment? What do we expect to happen when ministers get together next week? Hi, Jim. Uh, So as of now, we're not really expecting too many surprises going into the meetings. Uh, With global demand continuing to strengthen and and prices really at almost uh, three-year highs, I mean, most, if not all, ministers are going to be quite happy um, with this, with the state of the market. And by most accounts, I mean, there seems to already be a strong consensus among delegates and ministers that uh, additional supply is in order. Now, exactly what does that mean? I mean, just as a reminder, the roadmap that OPEC and its partners are working off, it's its one that sees, you know, the group's overall output quota raised uh, by around 400,000 barrels per day, sort of every month. And that's from August through until the end of next year, or until really all of the oil that it took off as part of the landmark deal, the one last year, April 2020, until all that uh, oil is back on the market. So whichever really comes first. But the, the group, they're still meeting on a monthly basis really just in order to confirm or to rubber stamp the, the, the planned increases for the following month, you know, just in case there are any unforeseen changes in, in the market dynamics or anything that really requires a rethink of policy. I, you'll probably remember, but the, the group actually incorporated uh, some kind of an option to pause the hikes for up to three months if and when required. So, you know, what we're looking at for this upcoming meeting it's really a decision by the group to either sanction under 400,000 barrel per day production increase from November or not. And several delegates have actually told us for the last few days that they expect it to be like an easy meeting with not too much to discuss. One slight curveball that we might see, even, I mean, if you can even call it that, is that maybe, maybe the ministers might sort of agree to take a decision not just for November, but also December. Um, that would essentially free the ministers from the need to hold another full ministerial meeting um, in November. Therefore, really, the next meeting would actually be in December uh, to determine January policy. Still, though, even if that does happen, I mean, the, the technical and monitoring committees, the JTC, JMMC, things like that, those would actually still need to meet in November. Okay, so we could get a two for the price of one next week, perhaps. Um, yep. I guess... Really, at the moment, with the way some of the projections of demand are looking and balances, is this 400,000 barrel a day month increase actually enough? Right. So that's a good question. I mean, just this week, we saw Goldman Sachs, they, they were warning that the, you know, the, the current supply demand deficit, it's actually a bit larger than it had predicted. You know, demand is recovering faster than projected and supply really is, is remaining short of expectations. And some delegates we've also spoken to, they flagged the same kind of thing. And, and they flagged that this, I mean, it really could and most likely will prompt some of the more sort of usual suspects to, to push for an increase of, of more than the 400,000 barrel per day you know, level that we've been talking about. Russia and Kazakhstan, for example, these have been countries that have typically been keen to raise output faster and harder than most others. Now, although OPEC Plus has proven itself to be ready to bend or even change the rules if and when needed, I personally don't see this happening this time around. Why? Honestly, it's because the majority of these countries in the group really aren't in a position to deliver on their current commitments, let alone inflated commitments, because of stalled or declining capacity. OPEC plus delegates, I mean, they'd been warning for a while now that this could be an issue as we approach you know, the final few months of the agreement. But looking at last month's production numbers, it looks like we might already be there. 
According to Argus's own production survey, the 19 countries that participate in the deal, they only actually raise their production by a combined 100,000 barrels per day. I mean, that's that's well below the 400 that they committed to in August. And, and that came, you know, as several countries really failed to hit their quotas. Nigeria, for example, they fell 260,000 barrels per day short. Angola, 280,000 barrels per day short. Malaysia, 140,000 barrels per day short. There were others as well, but I mean, those were smaller volumes, but still, it all adds up. Now, some of these countries, they say that their disruptions, those disruptions that cause the reduced output, they're temporary and they're, they're going to be able to raise production back soon. So Mele Kiari, the managing director of uh, NNPC, Nigeria's state oil company, he told Argus last week that, you know, he, he expects Nigeria will be able to bring back these lost volumes, so to speak, by the end of October or at the very, very latest, mid-November. But others will struggle from now on. I mean, the bottom line is that there's very little spare capacity left outside the Mideast Gulf. Um, many of the other countries in, in, in the coalition, I mean, even Russia, th- these countries are already very, very close to what they can sustainably produce. So, I mean, back to the question of whether this is enough. I mean, the fundamentals may suggest no, but in the current framework, we may not even be able to get to the headline 400,000 barrels per day increase. Okay, I mean, that's very interesting what you say about the, um, the, the sort of strain on OPEC plus spare capacity at the moment, because there's been a lot of anxiety about energy supplies worldwide, really, in recent weeks. We've had soaring gas prices, we've had impact on industry, factories closing, etc. Uh, even problems getting fuel to service stations in some countries. And there's been with this, this kind of worries over lack of investment in traditional oil and gas capacity, whether it be in OPEC or other non-OPEC countries, as the world starts to focus more on the energy transition. That worry about investment in the upstream and oil and gas production capacity, do you think that has implications for OPEC? I'd say yes, but possibly not immediately. That is unless, you know, the narrative around the energy transition changes. I mean, just last week, we had a long, long overdue gathering of, you know, industry heavyweights at this um, at the gas tech conference in Dubai. And unsurprisingly, I mean, energy transition, it came up and, you know, how we navigated. I mean, these were some of the hottest topics there. In essence, the main takeaway, though, I think, was that while you know energy transition is here and we're all support it, we really need to be cautious and realistic about how we actually implement it and get to this you know net zero. Um, the UAE and Qatari ministers they were there and 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 they were they're both speaking at the event and they also they really again just cautioned against this idea that was sort of introduced by the IEA several months ago that you know, hydrocarbons have no place in the transition and, and we need to stop investing in, in uh, you know, hydrocarbons. I mean, the UAE energy minister, Sahel Mazuri, he, he was saying that, you know, really the responsible thing to do is to, you know, continue to invest in capacity as the UAE is doing, while also, you know, aiming to become a global leader in low carbon hydrogen production. Uh, Al-Mazuri's argument, I mean, which has really been echoed by many in the industry, it's that, look, if, if we don't invest, it's ultimately going to be the consumers that suffer. Price prices increase because there's a supply crunch down the line. I mean, he said that's something the governments really do need to be honest and transparent with customers about, consumers and things. Qatar's energy minister was also there, Saad al-Kabi. I mean, he also said the governments need to be clear with it, with you know, with the people what you know, this so like a such a swift transition away from hydrocarbons would mean for the day-to-day lives. I mean, he pointed out that you know hydrogen for power generation. I mean, th- that's going to cost what between two to five times as much as gas would. I mean, who's who's going to pay for that? 
And and in terms of you know these net zero targets, Alkabi was saying that we need much better planning. In effect, the governments are coming out and they, they say what they want, but they're really unclear on on how they want to achieve it. So it's really not that beneficial, not to governments or 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 the average Joe. As of now, the feeling is that there won't really be too much of an impact on OPEC in the short run, but whatever impact you know this this new tra- energy energy transition excuse me uh, this drive could have on on demand for oil and opec i mean that's ultimately going to depend on how this narrative develops over the coming months and years okay well let's look um a little bit more at the short term and what they need to do with output policy i mean opec seems pretty comfortable with what it's got to do for the rest of the year keep on increasing output but what about 2022 does that look equally comfortable or more challenging do you think Right. So 2021, as you say, it seems straightforward and that the only real, you know, the only way is up. But 2022, I mean, it could really prove more challenging for the group. That's something that was flagged by the OPEC group's technical committees ahead of the last OPEC meeting earlier this month. I mean, what they found is that although in the short term, i.e., you know, through the end of this year, uh, the market's going to remain in deficit, it's going to almost certainly flip into surplus next year. The base case that they were looking at, it, it saw that you know global OECD stocks, commercial stocks standing at around, I think it was 56 million barrels below the, the five-year average that they're using. In this case, it's 2015, 2019, uh, by the end of this year. But in 2022, I mean, by, by that point, it saw a significant stock build and it, it placed inventories at just under 150 million barrels per day above the five-year average by the end of 2022. I mean, the second scenario, which sort of assumes weaker demand growth and higher non-OPEC supply next year, I mean, that one envisaged stocks at a mammoth 495 million barrels per day above the five-year average by the end of next year. But I think what needs to be said is that these projections, these are based on the assumption that the group proceeds with the gradual unwinding of its cuts as set out by the roadmap that it agreed on. Which, you know, as we discussed a few minutes ago, it might be easier said than done, given the supply side issues we're already seeing from some countries. But even beyond that, we have to remember that OPEC and, and now OPEC Plus, it's shown repeatedly that, that there's, you know, it's, it's nothing if not flexible. If there's a need, uh, I mean, I personally am in no doubt that they'll be the first to, to, you know, admit it and highlight it, you know, that a change in course or thinking is required. I suppose a few potential pain points for OPEC have subsided a bit in recent months. This this question of Iran, the return of rain exports with progress on the, the JCPOA and relations with the US, that no longer seems such an imminent issue. I mean, on that point in particular, I mean, where do you think things stand now with respect to Iran? We're, we're now at a point where both sides really seem to be saying the right things publicly or, you know, behind closed doors, but not really following them up with with actions. I mean, and that's causing a lot of undue frustration. And and, and to be honest, this wasn't totally unexpected after the election of uh, the distinctly more hardline government of Ibrahim uh, Raisi in June. As of now, the talks that began in April with the U.S. over a revival of the nuclear deal, the, the JCPOA, they've yet to resume, uh, you know, after being put on ice in June, after a little bit after the election. Iran's partners in the deal, so that's, that's China, Russia, um, the U.K., France, Germany, and, of course, the U.S., they've all really been urging Iran to return to the table, but uh, Iran is making them wait. Uh, you know, it's insisting that the new government it needs time to settle in really before engaging, uh, re-engaging, shall I say, over over the JCPOA. 
There was some hope that the 76th session of the UN General Assembly in New York uh, over the last couple of weeks, you know, it could facilitate some kind of discussion and progress on the JCPOA front. But as reported in the latest issue of Petroleum Argus, I mean, very little of note was achieved. The the Iranian side has been making some encouraging noises over the past few weeks uh, about a return to the talks with, uh, you know, its new foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahian. He was saying just a few days ago that, that Iran could come, you know, very soon, come back to the table very soon. But that has come really with the, with the, the much repeated caveat that it would need to come with, with some kind of, you know, action from the Biden administration to sort of back up its words. I mean, that's, that's again, very much in line with the idea that we've previously flagged um, that the RIC administration would really likely drive a harder bargain than its uh, predecessor. So essentially, what Iran wants now is to squeeze a little bit more out of the U.S. in an effort to ensure that, you know, A, it gets all the benefits it signed up for under the JCPOA that it feels it never got initially, but also that the deal is sort of not a prisoner to the next U.S. president that comes in and chooses it's, you know, not something that they agree with or like. One interesting development of the last few days, I mean, it's sort of a recent report issued by the by the Iranian parliament's research arm it kind of gives a flavor of the kind of things that it's requiring of the U.S. Among them was, you know, the ability to sell up to 2.5 million barrels per day of its oil or, you know, the free repatriation of its funds, the allowance of, you know, foreign companies to invest in Iran without the fear of repercussion or, or, or sanctions from the U.S., and, you know, the delisting of a large majority of individuals and, and entities um, that are today sanctioned by the U.S., U.S. officials, for their part, at least so far, they continue to say that they're really, you know, they continue to say they're prepared to take, to talk and, and, and come back into compliance if and when Iran does. But again and again, they stress that, you know, they're not going to be waiting forever. So while a return to talks could come soon, there are very, very real concerns that progress could be incredibly slow, pushing back any potential lifting of sanctions and, and a return of Iranian oil to the markets into early next year at, at the earliest. Okay, it sounds like that timeline is really uh, extending much more than we were thinking it might earlier this year. Okay, interesting. Well, we are also uh, coming up to the end of our timeline here. So thank you, Nala, for taking some time to discuss some of the key issues with us um, at next week's OPEC meeting. If you're interested in keeping up to date with our in-depth OPEC news analysis, then why not subscribe to Argus Global Markets or Petroleum Argus, or indeed both. And you can find more information on these services at www.argusmedia.com. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to you joining us again on the next episode of The Crude Report.